Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a program from WRBH where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on Robert W. Fiesler. Robert is the 2019 NLGJA, the National Lesbian and Gay Journalist Association's Journalist of the Year, and a debut nonfiction author. He currently lives with his husband and dog in New Orleans. He graduated co-valedictorian from the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism and is a recipient of the Pulitzer Traveling Fellowship and the Linton Fellowship in Book Writing. So, without further ado, here's Robert. Greetings. My name is Robert W. Fiesler, and I am the author of the book Tinderbox, the untold story of the upstairs lounge fire and the rise of gay liberation. Tinderbox is a nonfiction account of a notoriously unsolved arson fire. That crime took place at a gay bar called the Upstairs Lounge in 1973 New Orleans and claimed 32 lives. This book published in actually in paperback this past summer. It was also, dare I mention, my first book. I'll be reading from some of it at the famous local dogfish reading series at 2448 North Valaire Street on January 30th. More info at dogfishneworleans.com. Looking back on my year, this year, I'm overwhelmed to say that Tinderbox won the 2019 Edgar Award in Best Fact Crime from the Mystery Writers of America, making it the first work of queer history actually ever to win this prestigious honor. Tinderbox also led to the National Lesbian and Gay Journalists Association, the acronym is pronounced negligee, um, naming me Journalist of the Year. Um, an honor afforded in 2018 to no less than Ronan Farrow for breaking the Harvey Weinstein case. So not too shabby, I should say, uh, to pat myself on the back um, inelegantly, uh, for a baby journalist like myself reporting a piece of New Orleans history. This past week, I'm also thrilled to report that Tinderbox was named a finalist for the Housetonic Book Prize. To quote Chance the Rapper, it feel like it feels like blessings keep falling in my lap. All this stuff is crazy. Was crazy. Unbelievable and so important for gay New Orleans history, so important for the upstairs lounge legacy, but also it casts an uneven picture of reality, um, which I'll get to shortly. So my name's Robert Fiesler, and I'll be the host and voice of this week's Figure of Speech. This episode will feature a series of poetry and prose readings built around one common theme for the new year, that bright and shining, beautiful baby 2020, which will be yawning in its crib by the time y'all hear this episode. Our theme is New Chapters. First, before we get into the readings, let me walk you into this idea. And it's going to be real, people. What does it mean to open the notebook and see the white pages staring back? What does it mean to gaze upon a blank screen, tabula rasa? What does it mean to walk the beach the morning after the party and feel the year's first tide on your feet? 
How many tides pulled ill in and out of that sand before this new day, this new year, this somewhat arbitrary marker, Jan 1, on the calendar? What does it mean to mark that new chapter, that new book, that new beginning, and stride forward to leave the past in your wake? Can we? Can the new year be a new chance? To be the thing we always meant to be? Can we be, as Walt Whitman wrote in For Beginners, quote, provided for upon this earth? Will we that strive in a new space be provided for? Will we receive our daily bread? Or will the trapdoor of difficulty again be thrown again beneath us? Will we again be mired in the future? Can we be a blank page for this new year? Can we meet it? Is any human being ever a blank page to face the new year? I'm thinking about. Can I not carry this past year with me as I go forward? My 2019, if, I, if I'm to be real, was one of unevenness, the agony and the ecstasy, as it, I'm sure it was for many. Unevenness is the human experience. Me, I fronted a life of success on the surface and a life of ruin in private. I'm going to get real and get vulnerable, folks. <laughs> When I won that Edgar Award, I took the podium before a thousand of my literary colleagues in New York City at the Grand Hyatt, actually close to Grand Central Station, to give an acceptance speech knowing that my publisher had declined to purchase my plane ticket to that event, knowing that I was a 38-year-old broke author who'd had to beg his retired mother to pay the full price of that freight. Oh, and my publisher called me with congratulations afterwards. Thank my mother, I told them. And when I landed back in New Orleans, I landed to something else. I, I handed my husband the Edgar Award trophy with tears, and he yelled at me there in the airport line because they'd turned off the lights in our home, and I had to call my mother again. It was a moment of moments, one that epitomized the fullness and the hollowness of a slice of time, a moment that both, both filled and broke her heart and filled and broke mine. This is a past that as I speak it now seems so real to me, a moment that defined my 2019, a year now receding into the distance, in the books put to rest. Have you ever felt that, the desire to go back and reopen that old book, to grasp at your pastness? Have you ever felt unable to let go? 
I mean, in order to strive into that new space, the new year, right, you got to leave the past behind. Something's old's got to die for something new to live. Like those symbolic paintings, maybe, of the old man and the baby symbolizing every new year, the passing of the torch, the shedding of the skin, the passing of one life, one era to the next. Where will 2020 take us? Better than we've seen? Better than we experienced? How do we set the intention and rein in the expectations for this new chapter of a slice of life that will no doubt be ruled by the prospect of agony and ecstasy, of promise and unevenness as we walk the sand the morning after the party, as the new tide leaves the old beach. That's what I mean by new chapters. The challenge of embracing, of embracing the blank page of a New Year's Day truly, when maybe you do not feel new right now. Not yet. Not really. So, I've selected a series of passages written about starting anew, taking that new step in an uncertain world without guarantees and leaving all of your previous steps behind you. We'll be hearing a meditative poem by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bishop translating Octavio Paz, an explosive piece of prose by Saeed Jones, an exuberant poem about the miracle of existence by Thomas Traherne, and finally, a letter, an IDU message from the great Rainer Maria Rilke to the universe. The, for our first reading is a section of a poem written by Elizabeth Bishop, translating the poet Octavio Paz. And we all know any translation is a new form of authorship, the act of rephrasing the unsalable gaps between language, the gaps between words that give birth to new words and new feelings and new lines, the way that our colloquial phrases in one language don't quite match with the next one, and the way that same way that every New Year's Day, when you think about it, is fundamentally a translation of the past into a radically new, different work new different time. I give you January 1st by Elizabeth Bishop. The year's doors open like those of language toward the unknown. Last night you told me tomorrow we shall have to think up signs, sketch a landscape, fabricate a plan on the double page of day and paper. Tomorrow we shall have to invent once more the reality of this world. I opened my eyes late. For a second of a second, I felt what the Aztec felt on the crest of the promontory, lying in wait for the time's uncertain return through cracks in the horizon. But no, 
The year had returned. It filled all the room, and my look almost touched it. Time, with no help from us, had placed in exactly the same order as yesterday. Houses in the empty street, snow on the houses, silence on the snow. You were beside me, still asleep. The day had invented you, but you hadn't yet ex accepted being invented by the day, nor the possibility by being invented either. You were in another day. You were beside me, and I saw you like the snow, asleep among appearances, time with no help from us, invents houses, streets, trees, and sleeping women. When you open your eyes, we'll walk once more among the hours and their inventions. We'll walk among appearances and bear witness to time and its conjugations. Perhaps we'll open the day's doors, and then we shall enter the unknown. That was January 1st by Elizabeth Bishop translating Octavio Paz. That poem makes me think of so much involving the way time works with domesticity and what it feels like to walk out into the morning with my own husband when I really think about it. The promise of what a morning brings and what it means to walk with someone into time. It's breathtaking, that poem. Uh, a translation of an amazing poet from an amazing poet. Elizabeth Bishop's works are, is something that everyone should read, I think. Next up is a stellar piece of prose, a recent memoir written by the award-winning poet Saeed Jones. It's about a gay black man growing up poor in the South and coming to terms with both his gayness and his blackness and his interposition as a queer person of color. It's about how to take a step forward in his queerness to live his new life. He had to leave something painful behind as a sacrifice, as many of us have to leave something behind in our past. But this one was, was unique. He had to leave behind the conservative religiosity of his black grandmother, specifically a woman he once loved and adored, but would never love and adore in the same way again, not as a queer person who loved himself. No more, he looked at his past and said. This is How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. The scene is a grandmother driving her grandson home from church. This is How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. The windows were rolled down because her A.C. had been broken all summer. A breeze drifted into the car, then slipped away 
as if it knew to leave us alone. I kept my eyes on the road ahead of us, yellow line after yellow line passing while I clung to the only grace I knew that evening, that the summer would end and I would leave Memphis, that I would never come back, never spend another summer with my grandmother. This fact was as palpable as the silence. Looking back now, I think she felt it too, the speed with which I was slipping away from her. Perhaps she had felt this all summer long, and the church visits had been her last-ditch effort to keep hold of me, her, quote, grandbaby visiting from Texas, who was, quote, worldly. Now, I wish I had known that, really. This was always how it was going to play out for the two of us, one way or another. Precisely because my grandmother loved, loves me, she tightened her grip until it became so painful that I had no choice but to yank myself free. People don't just happen. We sacrifice former versions of ourselves. We sacrifice the people who dared to raise us. The I it seems doesn't exist until we are able to say, quote, I am no longer yours. My grandmother and I, without knowing it, were faithfully following a script that we had already been written for us. The woman raises a boy into a man, loving him so intensely that her commitment finally repulses him. Silent, beside my grandmother on that same twenty-minute drive we'd taken so many times that summer, I could feel the distance growing, but didn't understand it yet. Instead, a sense of certainty took root in me. I made myself a promise, even if it meant becoming a stranger to my loved ones. Even if it meant keeping secrets, I would have a life of my own. Beautiful. That was How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. Man, we grow up, don't we? We rebel. We test the boundaries and break them. And sometimes we find the, find the boundary makers to be hypocrites. And sometimes to be ourselves, we have to break the hearts of the ones that made us no babe, no baby is ever quite the same as the parent, correct? This next poem is a poem about the miracle of existence and really needs no introduction except that it was written by the gentleman named Trump Thomas Traherne, who is a poet and religious thinker. Uh, that took centuries to be known in the UK. I give you the poem Salutation by Thomas Traherne. I give you the Salutation by Thomas Traherne. These little limbs, these eyes and hands, which here I find, these rosy cheeks wherewith my life begins, where have ye been? 
Behind what curtain were ye from me hid so long? Where was, in what abyss, my speaking tongue? When silent I so many thousand, thousand years Beneath the dust did in a chaos lie, How could I smiles, or tears, or lips, or hands, Or eyes, or ears perceive? Welcome, ye treasures which I now receive. I, that so long was nothing from eternity, Did little think such joys an ear or tongue to celebrate or see, such sounds to hear, such hands to feel, such feet beneath the skies on such a ground to meet, new burnished joys which yellow gold and pearls excel, such sacred treasures are the limbs in boys in which a soul doth dwell, their organized joints in azure veins, more wealth than all the world contains. From dust I rise, and out of nothing now awake, these brighter regions which salute mine eyes, a gift from God I take, the earth the seas, the light, the day, the skies, the sun and stars are mine, if those I prize. Long time before I in my mother's womb was born, a god preparing did this glorious store the world for me adorn into this Eden so divine, so wide and bright, I come his son, his son and heir, a stranger here. Strange things doth meet, strange glories see, strange treasures lodged in this fair world appear, strange all and new to me, but that they mine should be, who nothing was, that strangest is of all, yet brought to pass. That was The Salutation by Thomas Traherne. I love that poem because it makes me feel like a little boy, strangely enough. The way he talks about little limbs, the way he talks about new burnished joys, and the moments where he talks about what it means to feel like a stranger in this world seeing it for the new time, it, it does something to restore me in a way that I guess William Blank's Songs of Innocence restore me. And there was, that's the reason that I read it here for this episode on new chapters, in the way that walking in the beach of our new year, we can think about how we are a stranger here, where strange things doth meet, and strange glories we will see. And I thought that I would use that poem to balance out some of the heaviness of this episode. 
um, which I hope you also do appreciate. But uh, no one writes a poem about the ecstasy of a moment um, better than Thomas Traherne. The only drawback is he is an overtly religious Christian poet like great Gerard Manley Hopkins. So if you were turned off by that aspect of the poem, just reimagine every time you hear the word God as higher power or the, you know, the sublime or the infinite, etc. Last up on the docket is an ITU letter, the final letter, actually, in the famous Letters to a Young Poet, um, a letter that the virtuous and virtuoso artist Raina Maria Rilke wrote to a young poet on the momentous cusp of a change in that youngster's life, a change brought about by a decision, a decision that turned a page for that young man. I read this letter to myself actually every January 1st to set my being, my balance, my bearing in an accepting position for all that is to be this next year. And I think about when I read this letter that perhaps in the way that Rilke was an artist, he was writing this letter not just to this young man, but to all of us for all time. So I give you Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke. Paris, the day after Christmas, 1908. You must know, my dear Capus, how glad I was to have that lovely letter from you, the news you give me, real and tellable as it is now again, seems good to me, and the longer I have thought it over, the more I have felt it to be in fact good. I really wanted to write you this for Christmas Eve, but what with work, in which I am living this winter variously and uninterruptedly, the ancient holiday approached so fast that I had hardly any time left to attend to the most necessary errands, much less to write. But I have thought of you often during these holidays and imagined how quiet you must be in your lonely fort among the empty hills upon which those big southerly winds precipitate themselves as though they would devour them in great pieces. The stillness must be immense in which such sounds and movements have room. And when one thinks that to it all the presence of the far-off sea comes chiming in as well, perhaps as the inmost tone of that prehistoric harmony, then one can only wish for you that you are confidently and patiently letting that lofty solitude work upon you which is no more to be stricken out of your life which in everything there is ahead of you to experience and to do will work as an anonymous influence continually and gently decisive much as in us blood of ancestors ceaselessly stirs and mingles with our own into that unique, not repeatable being which at every turning of our life we are. Yes. Yes. I am glad you have that steady, expressible existence with you, that title, that uniform, that service, all that tangible and limited reality, which in such surroundings, with a similarly isolated and not numerous command, takes 
on seriousness and necessity implies a vigilant application above and beyond the military profession's tendency to play and to pass the time and not only allows but actually cultivates a self-reliant attentiveness and to be among good conditions that work at us that set us before big natural things from time to time that is all we need art too is only a way of living and however one lives one can unwittingly prepare oneself for it in all that is real one is closer to it and more nearly neighborhood than in the unreal, half-artistic professions which, while they pretend proximity to some art, in practice belie and assail the existence of all art, as, for instance, the whole of journalism does, and almost all criticism and three-quarters of what is called and wants to be called literature. I am glad in a word, that you have surmounted the danger of falling into this sort of thing and are somewhere in a rough reality being solitary and courageous. May the year that is at hand uphold and strengthen you in that ever yours, Rainer Maria Rilke. That was Letters to a Young Poet by Raina Maria Rilke. Um, and though I beg to differ about how he describes journalism as a practice that belies and assails the existence of all art, being a journalist myself, um, I still find that letter uh, to be delightful. And he, he also addresses his criticism of journalism in the same stroke as he goes after critics. Um, so... Uh, that's just something that happens in these letters. And I could tell it that's a moment where he's just, um, the poet uh, is just on a roll. Um, so this was figure of speech, um, exploring the theme of new chapters. And Rilke really was addressing a new chapter there. I'm Robert Fiesler, the author of the book Tinderbox. I'll be reading from some of it, actually, at the famous uh, local dogfish reading series at 2448 North Valaire Street on January 30th. You can find out more about that at dogfishneworleans.com. Listeners, in the words of Rainer Maria Rilke, may the year that is at hand uphold and strengthen you, and may tomorrow truly be a blank page. Until then, I bid you peace in the struggle. Good day. That was local writer Robert W. Fiesler. And that's our show. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in every Saturday at 1 p.m. and on Mondays at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.